We're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting there. Super hyped about it. Okay. Colonization is on our way. Interesting. Welcome to another episode of Conversations on Our Way. It's the 25th of November, 2020. I'm Flo. And I'm Sam. And today we have our friend and old colleague, Michael, who was a facilitator at Austin International. Thanks, Michael. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me here on this podcast. It's uh, great to connect with you two again. It's been a while, eh? I know it's been a while. It's been a crazy year as, as for everyone, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, who would have thought, um, I think like COVID, right, is, is probably the biggest thing about this year. But within COVID, there are so many things that are changed, like changing the way that we're living, the way that we're thinking, the future of business or the future of um, the way that we're just going to be living as a society. So definitely a huge shock to everyone in the system, I think. So adjust and adapt. So what have uh, you been up to recently? Me? Um, it's nothing too uh, like exciting on the surface, I would say. Like on the surface, um, I'm currently kind of studying. Um, well, last year I was studying in university. I was a first year student after taking a gap year. Um, and then in my second year, I did my first semester um, at UNSW. And then I decided to actually take a break from that to focus full time on running Hero Education, um, which, as you guys know, is a tutoring business um, based in Strathfield for high school students. So, yeah, the past year has been um, really just adjusting into my new role there and trying to figure things out a day at a time huge learning curve as well yeah thrown into that yep yep i mean uh yeah it was like kind of what october last year um Mm -hmm. and evan so evan was the old so he's the founder um of hero education and also um the long-term ceo so he like it was founded in 2011 um and he was running the business for like seven or eight years before i even heard of hero um, first joining Ooh. on as like a mentor and then later slowly working. Yeah. And getting more responsibility in the business. Um, so yeah, like literally learning from the bottom up as a mentor first. <laughs> so how, how old was Evan when he started this? Did he just come out of high school? Yeah, I think so. Like it was the classic story of, um, you know, like selective high school students, they come out of yep. high school and they're like, yo, I want to I make money. And yep. then they look at themselves in the mirror and they ask like, what assets do I have? And the only asset is um, the HSC um, or the knowledge around the HSC. So I think uh, the story was really interesting. It's a fascinating one. Um, it's because he actually first started tutoring a family friend um, and he used to um, charge, I believe it was $15 an hour, which... That's I really think, cheap. Yep, it, it, it's dirt cheap. Like, he, I, don't, I really don't think he was doing it for purely monetary purposes. It was more like, oh, I've got a family friend. I want to help out. Mm. So why not? And funnily enough, like Evan's personality is one where he believes in excellence. So he, for some reason, like deep into the tutoring career with this girl, he was like, hmm, maybe I should write booklets. And so he starts write, like authoring theory booklets and then... He's like, hmm, maybe I should write some homework sets for her as well because that's going to be helpful. And so he starts authoring homework sets. And then before <laughs> you know it, like, it just starts growing. Um, and 
like he was telling me once he was uh, at a dinner, uh, like, like literally dinner table at home. He's got some pens, some paper, and he's just randomly drafting um, a logo for a one-man business at the time, tutoring one student. And so you could see there was a little bit of like entrepreneurial flair um, inside of him. And yes, yeah, slowly that one student became two, the two became three, um, and it became a very small and intimate business where people used to not want to tell other people about Hero because they thought it was like... Secret club. Yeah, yeah like, this is a secret club. Like, holy moly, uh, I can't believe there are these amazing resources. There's this really, really smart dude teaching me. Um, if we just keep it tight, um, we can do really, really well. Mm. And yeah, and it, that's kind of the, a very, very summarized version of the origins. And yeah, so he was a uh, long answer short straight out of high school and a university student at the time. Mm. Yeah. And now he is running his other business. <laughs> yep. 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 So I think, again, could be slightly off in terms of the date, but Checkbox has been around for four to five years now. Um, and so in October of last year, he's kind of, he was having a conversation with me. So how it, how it all started was I was in university at the time and I wanted to do more for Hero. So I was in a management team in last year in October still, um, doing one days of work uh, every single week. Um, have you guys ever done anything like part-time, like one day a week, actually, on that note? Yeah, yeah. I, during uni, I did three, like three days a week. Oh, yeah. Um, oh okay. Yeah. Three days, not, not too bad. How, how do you find like working three days a week as opposed to one day or as opposed to like a full-time kind of mm. commitment? I think it's good when you're at uni. You can you have time to like focus on each yeah. without like because if you just do, like in my opinion, like doing one day, you might. Um, oh, I actually don't know because mm. like from my experience, if I just did one day, I wouldn't focus as much. Wouldn't be able to focus as much on work if I just did one day. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of have to do like one or two days or three days um, together. So yeah. like my head's like in the game or oh, I don't have to catch up on everything what catch up on everything I missed the last week so it's just just me. Yeah, what what about you Flo? Thinking part-time work. So th- throughout all of uni I was working. Um mm. I was working retail and then that's like the first few years of uni and then as well moving into internships. But right. both times I was pretty much it's like full-time hours of everything and anything whether it's full load of uni plus the internship plus part-time working so I was kind of juggling and multitasking in a sense but I I work that's how I operate so yeah it was fine for me (laughs) right right I mean yeah that's pretty full-on and Mm. I mean I ask because I mean I I would say you know it's different for everyone Um, but definitely for me at least when I was working one day a week um, kind of what sam you were kind of hinting towards about uh you kind of lose track um of everything that was happening in the business for the last seven days and you got to uh, catch yeah. up and yeah 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 no there's like a disjoint because you have a gap in terms of days no i get what you mean because um when i was doing internships for um Ogilvy pr that was that a few days a week on I can't even remember now mm. but yeah i think it wasn't a full-time full-time gig at the time um and yeah you there's just a gap in terms of like what happens and even if if 
a gap for like one or two days. It's so much that happens within those two days. And then you come back and you're trying to like catch up or like just be in tune with the meetings and what's happening with business. So yeah, no, I get it. That's it. That that's exactly it. And mm-hmm. and so I felt exactly that frustration. I would say, um, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of compounded with me doing part time of everything in the first year. So I was obviously doing university, but then I was kind of doing societies, like doing 180, yeah. uh, 180 DC. And you know, as a first year, I don't really know what I'm doing. So there's a lot of like like a big learning curve there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had a friend kind of approach me. Um, his name was Victor, and he wanted to run a coding like a coding business where oh, it's more like we're teaching coding to high school students. So yep. um, a lot of time was taken away trying to build the product and the service and then actually like a lot of time reaching out to schools, networking with them, running kind of like programs and go- like literally going to school announcements. Like I would be that person that everyone would be like, well, who, who's that person? Special guest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a special guest. And then literally walk, like sitting next to the principal at the front of the assembly at like special. a of high school. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of that. And like coming to the end of the year in October 2019, I was kind of like, far out, man. Like this year has been so busy, but I felt like I haven't progressed. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it was spread, a huge It spread too thin. Yeah, yeah. You, you spread yourself too thin and you become an average at everything. And I'm already not naturally good at multitasking. Um, mm-hmm. So let alone multitasking on a large scale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of sat down and I thought to myself, well, what do I really care about? Like of all the things that I'm doing right now, university, societies, um, the coding business hero, what drives me the most? What am I most excited about the future of? Mm. Um, and the answer was obvious. Like it was hero. I love teaching. I love the culture there. I love mm-hmm. um, the origin story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I literally just had a random dinner with Evan at the end of the year. We're catching up, and I was like, hey, dude, like, you don't have to pay me any more money. I don't think the business can afford it. Like, I'm not saying this to you to ask for a higher pay, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to flag to you that um, I wanted to commit myself more to the business, so can you please hold me accountable to that? Um, mm-hmm. And I said, rather than a single day, um, I'm actually planning on doing three days of uni and the rest of the week, I'm going to do hero. Like I'm going to drop that coding. Like we were doing pretty well in that coding business. Like we we're already profitable um, mm-hmm. and like we we're in kind of like, like four to five high schools already. But I was like, I, I, I dropped that. I talked to the other co-founder and I was like, I don't think I can continue. Um, I dropped out of the society. And then, yeah, I was ready to kind of commit three to four more days and hopefully make something um, of this business. And Evan looks at me, he just smiles and he's like, yeah, buddy, it's all good. Like, um, I want to make you the CEO from now on. And I'm just like, (laughs) I was just like, bruh, like that. I'm not asking for that. I was never intending for that. Um, But apparently he just, I think he kind of felt the same way that I had something more to give. Um, and I wanted to give more. Mm. Um, and so apparently, so James Hahn is his co-founder at Checkbox. Mm-hmm. Um, before he went to the dinner, he actually said to James Hahn, he was like, oh, today's dinner, I'm actually going to formally tell Michael. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, wow, that's so funny. Because I was literally... meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I, Both I... of you had scripts prepared for that dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like but like completely uncoordinated although you know a slightly different intentions i just mm-hmm. i was 
I was more ready to learn more from him, to be honest. Like I wanted a little bit more time with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted his mentorship more and I wanted to output more work so that he could review more of my stuff and teach me through all of that. But, you know, things didn't exactly turn out like that. But I think nonetheless, it's been a huge journey since. Um, yeah, and I've made so many mistakes in the middle of it all. Um, but I guess that's how you grow, right? So, mm. yeah. 100%. So, yeah, go Sam. So, like, over this year, right, being, like, CEO, mm. what's the biggest learning, like, what did you learn, like, what's the biggest thing that you learned? Wow. Biggest takeaway. <laughs> oh. oh, it's so hard. Um, the, or actually, you know yeah. what, if I can change the question a little bit, um, mm. what would you, like, knowing and going, having been through CEO for a year, mm. what would you tell Michael of last year mm. stepping into the I accept yeah. that change. Okay. <laughs> change approved. Uh, <laughs> change approved. Good question. It's a great question. What would I tell Michael last year? Um, yeah. I'll tell Michael last year um, to not take it lightly. Um, mm. I think uh, sometimes we go into a role and we don't know what to expect. And so we're kind of still the same person. And then we don't really <clears> think too much about how I'm going to do anything differently now that I'm in this role. So I fell into the trap of being a more active management member as opposed to taking on the roles, responsibilities that a CEO should take on, if that makes sense. So without kind of understanding what does a CEO even do, um, what do they take care of, what are they supposed to be thinking about, I just went, okay, sweet, I'm the CEO. I'll work my ass off, um, as you should. Um, but also in the middle of all that, you need to be acutely aware of the influence that you're supposed to have and will have um, on the organization um, from the bottom up. And I had no idea of that. So that was definitely something that I learned through the, throughout um, the past year, I would say. Um, and then another thing that I've learned and developed, which I would totally tell my earlier self is uh, embrace feedback. Mm. Um, and I, I really love the word ownership. Like that is kind of the word of my year, if I would, if I may. Um, and the reason for that is because taking ownership, and it means complete ownership, means that when, when things go south and you don't think it's your fault, um, ownership means it doesn't really matter whose fault it is. Uh, you are going to take full responsibility for the situation and you are going to do two things. Number one, you're going to try work out a solution, of course, if things are going south, um, even if it's not your fault. And number two, you're going to be in charge of actually thinking backwards and saying, what could I have done better anyway to prevent the situation that has come about in my ignorance? And I think a lot of people, um, when they don't have that level of ownership, when something goes wrong, they're like, Oh yeah, um, Sally over there, and I, I don't have a Sally in my team, so I'm not going to codename Sally. No, no. Uh, so Sally over there is like that. That's Sally's fault. Like far out. I can't believe yep. um, that was such a careless mistake. Um, but then when you take ownership over that, mm. uh, it could be like, but why were they careless? Did you not give them enough training? Um, did you check on them every single week? Did you have conversations about road blockers? Was it really a careless mistake, or is it because they have 
five other things on their plate and they just haven't vocalized that to you because you didn't give them the space and comfort to. And mm. so when you reframe situations where you're like, it's always your fault and there's always something you could have done to actually have a handle on the situation, um, it, it really helps inspire growth and it really helps and encourage accepting really, really harsh and critical feedback um, to the point where if I'm no longer receiving feedback, I think like I'm worried, like I'm worried something's going wrong. Like mm. either people are disengaged, they don't care about the business anymore. Um, you know, like they're not checking in. So a lack of feedback to me is like, is not silence. In fact, it's a siren for something mm. wrong. Yeah. Because they're, yeah. they're not invested enough and they're not thinking enough about what they're doing. So yeah. they won't have a, a strong opinion. Yeah, that's correct. Or they're not like, they're not thinking critically enough to actually make commentary um about you know a certain something going wrong so yeah that's that, that's definitely what i'll tell my early like there's so much more right like so much more yeah this, year. <laughs> but, this is gonna happen in march <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 crazy it's crazy so so have you moved your business online because of covid yeah, we, we had, that was uh, one of the first challenges I had yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coming into the role. I was like, sweet, I at least know how tutoring works. And I was like, no, I don't anymore because it's all online. Um, and so when COVID hit, uh, we were kind of very worried, but we weren't sure how to go about it. Mm. Um, but kind of like we looked at other tutoring centers to our left and right. And like slowly we could see that the online transition was happening and we thought, no, we've got to do it. Like, there's no point waiting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you could wait another week, um, but we know COVID's coming. So you might as well proactively take it online, um, start preparing and training mentors for it. So mm-hmm. even to this day, and I mean, to this day, meaning uh, two days later, I've still got an online class at Hero. So every single class since the start of COVID has been online. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, we are moving back to in-person in term one of next year, assuming uh, kind of the spread of COVID doesn't escalate again in the, in New South Wales. Yeah. Do Do you like online better, or do you think the personal interaction uh-huh. is more helpful? Yeah. Good. Good. Good question. It's same thing. Like, <laughs> it's like you think it would be an obvious answer, but it's actually. Mm. I mean, it is, and it's not right. Like online's great because it's it means I can accessibility. Yeah, like you're just at home. You just go onto your computer and you can start teaching um, straight away. But, um, and I mean, things like, you know, homework marking now we do online. So rather than writing the same feedback six times and taking 30 minutes, I can now kind of type it. Control paste. (laughs) Yeah, control paste or type it, whatever it is, right? And so it's a lot more efficient in that way. Um, But it has been a nightmare in its own right. Uh, Logistically speaking, that means we now have to deliver theory notes to every single student in our business all over Sydney every single term. So you can mm-hmm. imagine um, how much printing needs to be done ahead of time, how much organizing and delivery, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a logistical headache. But more mm-hmm. than that, beyond all of that, the reason I am desperate to go back to the classroom is because I love my students. And I like the interaction is different. Like what makes Hero Hero is because uh, the feedback we get every single year from our students is that we're a teacher, we're a mentor, and we're a friend. Mm. Um, and the only way we can actually nurture that relationship is seeing them every single week, um, having building that classroom culture. Like we're teaching them, but we're also mentoring them. 
were worried about how the week has been and we can see it if they're disengaged in a class we can see it if kind of something's happened leading up to the lesson and so we're kind of caring for them beyond how they like if they know how to answer questions from the chemistry syllabus or something mm-hmm. um and being away from them is it, it just makes it harder it, it's more distant um and there are some students that i've never even seen in real life because they enrolled during this time and i'm like far out i just cannot wait to see you and um just interact with you heart to heart in person mm. so despite all the travel inconveniences um yep. i would hands down always go back to teaching in the classroom and i don't think for people who argue um or kind of hypothesize that online teaching is the future um i yep. actually disagree mm. i think uh learning is a very interactive experience um and a very personal experience that can only be done in person. Yep. I think online will supplement and facilitate or advance the learning of a student, but it will never replace it. Yeah. So I I kind of want to touch on this like I know I know we plan to come into this podcast and talk about about you, right? But <laughs> uh, um but I just have this question because um mm. what before I ask it, um, why I ask it is because we all know, like education, like we we always like see headlines on the news saying like mm. the, our education system is broken, yeah, um, um, like things 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 like that. So, from you who like runs a company that teaches students, what do you think is the future of education, and how can we better better it? Wow, crazy question. Um, do you guys have, like what are your initial thoughts? Like, I've got some ideas uh, to talk about, but like, what about like you, Flo? Do you have any kind of um, commentary around a question like that? The future of education. I think that's all like something not only me as an educator, mm. but you know, all of us are within the education system. We've been through it. So, um, yeah. What about well, like, what do you think? So, I think from if we're just specifically talking about, uh, primary and secondary education mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of variance as well not even just because one in Australia it's state-based mm-hmm. started, so there's a segregation there but as well the way that people teach content and the fact that we've moved online because of COVID because we've had to adapt I agree with your sentiment in terms of I don't think online teaching can replace um, the human connection and the human interaction that kind of enriches the learning. Yeah. I think there's a lot of changes that need to be done in terms of the way that uh, ch- kids are taught at school. And I think that oh, I'm hoping that the education system is also a bit more aware of this. And so they're educating teachers in better ways of communicating to students, um, but as well making sure that they're not just kind of churning out kind of like little robots in the sense that like you mm-hmm. memorize content and then that's how you ace the HSC and then you keep going type thing. Oh, sorry. HSC is the high school certificate, which is a year 12 exam. Yeah. Um, so I think there are, I know that there are progressive changes in terms of the way people do schooling and like, you know, homeschooling is an option, um, but there are, alternatives to the normal um tertiary edu- oh, mm. sorry, not tertiary, normal schooling system that most people would have yeah uh, in terms of the styles of teaching uh, focusing a bit more on creative 
or um, tactile things rather than straight up just memorizing textbooks. Yep. So I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes will be made in the coming years. But I also recognize that it is quite a big effort mm-hmm. to change it because it's such a it's such a mammoth exercise with so many stakeholders and institutions that have to get involved. So I can yeah. recognize that, but I think yeah. that really awareness is the first step. It's always the first step to any issue and problem. Um, and then kind of feeding that message throughout the entire system and then seeing what changes can be made from low-hanging fruit to the actual core of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think yeah, I think I think everyone in the in the industry is aware that the, there's a problem. that's not the like most the best way to teach because, like, although we we do say like we're progressing um, in education, I I personally don't think so because how we give in give um how we like how we teach at uni and or high school or primary school, we give we give the child a problem and then we give them the solution. Mm. Mm. I and I don't think that's the right way to teach like to teach because I I actually watched this um video of Elon Musk. I know yeah. you're a big fan of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, he exp- he explained to this the interviewer um the school that he br- um brings his kids to is like they every day they go to school and they're given a pro- new problem, right? So mm. the problem could be like let's say um maybe like an IKEA cupboard you have to put it to put it together and instead of um having a textbook saying okay do this do that do that they they just give them the tools and just to let them figure out so they have a problem in their hands and they just have to figure figure out the solution by themselves yeah. and i think that's a that it, to me is a more, more pro, that's actually a progressive way to teach i'm not sure mm-hmm. how good it is but that's trying something new other than memorizing mm-hmm. and regurgitating in terms of method of teaching as well. Mm. But another thing to talk, talk, touch upon is the, the subjects that are taught in schooling as well, I think needs to be updated mm. or changed because like obviously things, not even just in secondary education, but in tertiary education, it's like how much of it is actually translatable into the workforce. Mm. So Absolutely. there's also that, a little bit of that disjoint or certain things that need to be added to the curriculum to make it more applicable and actually usable for practical. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a hard question to tackle. Um, I think everyone knows the system is broken, like Sam, you said, because if we look at the picture of the classroom 70 years ago, and then we take a picture of the classroom today, the only thing that changes the iPads in the classroom and the lighting because the camera is better. Um, (laughs) and so and so it's shocking right like we're going to these uh like at school we're going on excursions and we look at um classrooms before and it's literally the same right it's desks it's uh, chairs and then there's a massive whiteboard or a blackboard um and uh, that's just the way we deliver teaching um in a very kind of lecture based way so what can we what can we do about that um, I, I, or where do I see education moving into the future? Um, I, I think fundamentally it's going to take a lot of work, um, if ever, for the education system itself to turn around. And the reason is because I think um, it's, it's got so many levers within it, right? Like 
Uh, if we think uh, about the education system now, I think it was largely developed for the industrial revolution, and yep. um, we needed people uh, to learn certain skill sets at the time, um, which was more kind of repetitive and laborious and manual. And then uh, there are like systems in place that take someone from a student at a very young age all the way to like now we know they're so called qualified um, to actually be hired and be a professional in their company. And so, like, if you look at businesses, uh, although they are changing, like, there are still so many businesses today that require an academic transcript. Um, and that is kind of the first level of filter when they're hiring. And so, when that culture doesn't change there, um, then it, it just takes a step back and it's like, okay, well, then we need academic transcripts. And then um, then universities come into play and then how to get to university? Well, uh, in depending on where you are in the country, at least in Australia, it's like, well, you need the HSE. And then people think about, well, how do I get the highest HSE? And so it's like if, if at the end point, the way that you build careers and the way that um, you can kind of have, like make a living for yourself is based on heavily on uh an academic transcript then that is just going to bleed yeah. into the rest of the process and it's not going to change um so, for a very long time so i guess the so i guess change has to start from the ceos oh <laughs> 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 um, yeah it, it's a good question like almost right like almost um because like it, it's it's kind of like yeah the education system is at fault but also um, the education system is a certain way because uh, careers and businesses are engineered in a certain way to like they kind of work hand in hand at the moment. Um, so it's almost like there's got to be both parties working actively to kind of make a huge change. The the thing I I think is really important is perhaps we should start with changing the teachers. Um, Teachers uh, influence students at scale. Um, teachers uh, at like kind of have many contact hours with a student, and mm -hmm. so like I'm really curious to see how teachers are actually trained at a university level, um, so that when they go into the classroom, they are actually capable enough to kind of build the next generation. Um, because if you think about it, like I could have easily become a high school teacher meaning I could have come out of university, I would then take a teaching degree and then, you know, placement at a school and boom, I'm back in a classroom at 24. And it's like, well, far out, I've got no experience. I've got like really no life experience, no, not, not, not a whole lot more. Um, my perspectives and my opinions probably haven't changed too much because I was all about education the entire way. And so without the lens and kind of the wisdom I'm going to go back and start teaching my students the way that I was taught, which was to grind textbooks, um, mm -hmm. which was to have a systematic approach in everything that you do and um, like less creative in, in at least the subjects that I did. So, um, and that's kind of one of the things like for myself, at least it's, I want like at Hero when we hire educators, like we don't just look at the academic transcript, like that's literally just one of many, many things that we're looking for. Um, they have to be heavily involved in kind of a wide variety of different uh, kind of uh, extracurriculars. Um, they have to be inspiring role models themselves so that they can actually not only be in a classroom to teach content, but kind of give so much other supplementary support and wisdom around that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so perhaps we should start there. Perhaps we should 
reinvent the way that uh, we train um, and the way that we filter out for people who are eligible to be teachers. Because um, I think, right, like I, and again, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I'm not sure what the ATAR qualification is um, to be a teacher, or I don't know how prestigious kind of like being a teacher is, but I definitely think that uh, if we can escalate that um, in terms of like the importance that we see in being a teacher, yeah. that can make a huge difference. And like there are tons of examples like Khan Academy, a, a teacher who believes that anyone can learn anything, like literally his hashtag is you can learn anything. And then we have Eddie Wu, um, yeah. who is a math teacher, but he's so much more than a math teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah, you you say it's like start. You oh, sorry, Flo, go. Yeah, okay. I have a couple things I want to touch on. It's one in terms of I agree that like teachers are kind of like your frontliners in terms of influencing the next generation of students, and definitely if they have the right education uh, and qualifications, then that'll trickle down. So in terms of impact, I can definitely see it. But I guess what I'm, what question kind of kept coming through my head as you were speaking just then was that we use benchmarks in terms of um, qualifications for, from high school, um, high school, university, and then into the workforce. We qualify people through these kinds of benchmarks. And that's how we qualify the whole workforce and then the economy. Yeah. Yeah. So in what other ways could we qualify the workforce? Because that's ultimately what needs to be changed in terms of your, your point earlier yep. about see kind of like going into the workforce, coming from a CEO is what are they looking for? So what's another way? And also thinking about the scalability of it, because you know, this is to every single student of not even just across state, but across nation. Mm. Um, internationally is that what's the best way or alternative way to qualify yeah that's your a... skills your knowledge i mm. think, yeah i think i think this is the core this is the core problem yeah yeah so because we're also I... like talking about changing like there's there's a change in trends of what mm. the workforce needs yeah. So that's kind of like the lag with the education system in terms of, like you said, it was like built for the industrial era and we needed workers to be qualified in certain things so we can maximize output in that sense. So as ch- uh, trends have changed, you know, there's more technology focus or digital focus, um, computational engineering and things like that in terms of where the workforce is moving. So we need to adjust and that's why there's certain degrees that have been popping up and such. But I, yeah, it I, comes I, back to the qualification mm. and how to actually qualify everyone so that there's like a standard. Yeah. I think, I think to like a partial solution to this problem is probably internships. Having students... Experience. Yeah, because the only way you, you can prove your your know-how is through actual work, right? Like like having graduating for comp- computer engineering might like might tell some might tell someone you can do some coding, but it doesn't tell tell people how good your coder you are. So 
So internships can actually be like a really good way to prove to prove to the company that you are a good coder. But the then the problem lies is there are only so many companies and there are only so many internship spots. But everyone like there there's so many more like um, students that want those spots. So yeah, what do you guys think about that? It's so ridiculously hard. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean there are like there are like companies right like inside Sherpa who mm-hmm. run virtual internships to try yep. to recreate that internship experience and a certificate mm-hmm. generally means you have a much higher uh, success rate at kind yep. of getting into um, like, like a position at a business that you did the, internship, the virtual internship for. Um, how, how, like I, it, it's so difficult because I think the, the lens that I'm looking at it is a lot of the things that I'm doing or a lot of the things that I hear about it's less about qualifications. It's actually more about competency and soft mm-hmm. skills. So mm-hmm. like hearing Evan talk, right? Um, it's like when I hear him talk about the people he hires, he never says the qualifications they have. It's never that. It's, it's always about um, what set of soft skills make them mm-hmm. successful in, a, in, like a, in his uh, startup. Um, and kind of like sometimes you even hear like someone came from an economics background, mm-hmm. but they were really invested in coding. And mm. so uh, uh, through a take-home project, they could really see his capacity. Um, and so he was hired nonetheless. So there were people that are working in university. They're kind of halfway through and they, they've been working at Checkbox from the beginning and they realized, damn, this is such a great workplace. I want to literally drop out of my degree because I see no value in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the reason why that's skewed, because then, you know, the answer from my side could just be like, like screw it, let's just make it where um, they just have a single like pr- like we use project based work and they have to actually submit projects and we evaluate the quality of that to kind of make a judgment and it's less about kind of the marks that they got in university because that is truly not reflective of a person's com- competency. Um, but then it's like I have no clue uh, when it comes to kind of a lot more like specialist role, like a civil engineer as an example or like an electrical engineer. Um, surely kind of the content that they're learning throughout the university has a huge grip mm-hmm. on the success they have in the role or at least like laying the foundations. And so how do you qualify someone like that? Well, generally the only way, because there's so much knowledge that you have to instill in a person before they're kind of ready mm-hmm. to give it a crack, it's, it's like, well, did they attend an educational institution um, and did they perform well? Um, and that's kind of the assumption that you're going to have to take. Yep. Uh, yeah, so it's... Yeah, this is a really hard problem. Yeah, hey. it's so hard. It's so hard because uh, yep. there are... Gen- I, yeah, oh, sorry, go, go, Sam. I think because like we, we speak from... Like, th- we speak from a... Um, business background exactly. because i i started from <laughs> i started economics yeah um same with flow and what did you study what did you uh, what are you studying my, uh, commerce computer science yeah so commerce is kind, commerce, kind of falls yeah. under that bucket as well but for let's say a doctor a like yeah like a doctor a dentist i want i i want my doctor to have <laughs> a, a degree yeah so i think this problem probably has to um we have to tackle this problem by um by the domain like mm, if it's yeah. if it's a science, all right, fine. You, I, th- that's I I can't comment on that. They they mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. to go through the um, training. I, yeah. I guess right. Yeah. But 
for business to to say like you're in uni studying business to start to study commerce to study management <laughs> like and to come out of uni saying like okay now you can run my business now here, here you go that's that's to me it's ridiculous oh yeah it's crazy and yeah so that so that means like is wouldn't you say that's just a useless degree and i can say for myself like i'm not using any part of my degree right now at work yeah so yeah. like did i just waste my money and my time mm-hmm. i kind of sometimes i kind of feel feel like that so mm-hmm. yeah it's i think you made a good so point I'm- like Oh, sorry, okay. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. I, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, maybe tackling by domain is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not thinking kind of in a very uniform, homogenous, mm-hmm. like, let's make it across the board, kind of like, uh, kind of uplift of the entire system. But maybe in certain domains, uh, the emphasis is on kind of different set of qualifications or criteria. And I think that's already happening because people are realizing more and more that a transcript in a certain degree or a certain domain um, has really such little indicator of how good they're going to be in their role and how successful they are. And perhaps another question for all of us to think about is why do we think it's a problem in the first place um, that we are using qualificate like academic transcripts as an example to qualify people um and maybe we should start there and understand why it's a problem in the first place um to see if there are kind of other solutions other than just removing the whole academic qualifications um to begin with yeah i think so in terms of from our discussion i think it becomes clear that we need a combination of both academic or kind of like tertiary qualifications that can be quantified on paper it's kind of like you've done your due diligence of what you've learning in your background so you have the knowledge and expertise to kind of start building but then there's a secondary layer of that people aspect in terms of how well can you connect how well can you communicate because ultimately Mm -hmm. if you don't have that down pat then it's going to be hard to communicate anything yeah. And then I think going by domain, having a look at sciences and like med- medicine, legal, uh, not even just like within even the commerce business realm. For example, if you're doing risk uh, equities, anything financial modeling and things like that, you mm-hmm. still need to build those skills. That is a hard skill in a sense. Your soft yeah. skills, the ratio of soft skills to hard skills for certain arenas is very different Mm -hmm. so i think for yeah i think coming back to the question of sam when you said like do you use your degree i think it comes also comes down to the accessibility of information and the teaching what do you mean by that the standard of it so for example um it's really actually coming down to the standard and it's kind of like trusting in that standard that, you know, you've achieved a certain amount. So basically anything that in our business degrees, majority of it, and actually thinking about like medical and legal degrees and any other degree, all the information is technically out there. You can go to your public library, you can go on the internet, and you can learn it all. But what people are paying is for that kind of branding and standard that 
you have completed X, Y, and Z to fulfill the fact that you've gotten a degree and you've attained a degree at this particular institution, which kind of guarantees or standardizes or communicates to your employers that there is a standard there. Mm. So that's kind of like your your tick of approval in a sense. Um, it's like, do you want to get a certification for, to become a doctor online versus do you want a certification <laughs> to become a doctor at Harvard? So it's like it's like two different, completely different things. So what you're actually trusting is the quality that the institution sets. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's yeah. That's very fair point. Um, and there are certain institutions that have a higher weighting in the eyes of certain employers. Um, and again, it's like, yeah, trusting that that institution upholds a specific higher quality that therefore renders a certain result. I think, though, perhaps um, we might come to an agreement that actually these academic qualifications is necessary in order to just make anything possible at scale because just way too hard to you know what's never taught to people or not taught enough um me kind of of like relying less on edgy time by my like kind of without it's like you realize that learning is possible in the never stops and learning is a proactive engagement with uh, materials that you can literally go on google and find and you could or you could go and use the academic questions is ne necessary kind of as per the system um, but they kind of take on a different mentality um, and realize that they want to do so many things more around that to kind of develop themselves. Um, I think that would make a huge difference because I, like there are countless people that are going through university thinking that because this is all I need, then this is all I need. Um, and if we can really change the way that people think about it and they realize like that's kind of like the baseline, um, but we want to do so much more beyond that, so much more learning, um, to actually refine our character, refine our knowledge, um, refine our soft skills, um, that would help a lot. Mm. Because, yeah, a huge problem is like you're getting kind of like, you know, a huge wave of people coming out. They've got a qualification. They're waving it around. But that's all they have. Um, and so perhaps we need to change the way that we're educating um, young people in thinking about what this academic qualification means. Um, yeah, could perhaps help a lot. Then, because I think that like companies nowadays, especially the the ones that are, in lack of better words, a bit more switched on, their vetting process of you know who they hire and things like that is no longer just the degree, or they'll look yeah. outside of the degree, or they'll look beyond years of experience. Mm. They look at attitude. They look at yeah. You know, extracurricular what else have you done mm. what have you done with your time what interests do you have or what pursuits have you done so 
so then the question is like because everyone wants like the the best careers right and the best the biggest companies want the best employees so like i guess the question to try to help as many people as possible is how do we um teach motivation because if if like let's say we can let's assume we can teach like motivation to kids right and we just have a generation of kids that are really motivated on um on everything and then like all the companies would ha- have access supply of really good candidates mm. right so is it possible to teach someone to be motivated comes down yeah. to an attitude yeah remember it's like thinking about how we learned about like growth mindset yeah but so in terms of anyone can be taught it's just more so understanding kind of desire and what you want to learn or what you're interested in mm-hmm. um, and also having the confidence to pursue it. There's, these are a lot more like human elements to it. It's um, so, what, so what if like a kid come, comes to hero education, right? Yeah. And the, the, the parents force him to go take tutoring classes and he does not give one, f- like does not care. What, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good question. So it's like, how do we teach motivation um, or how do we teach attitude? Because that is kind of the foundations for success, um, whatever, yep. however you define success. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, that's kind of a unique situation where it's like, oh, we're tutoring business. What do we do with a kid? Um, but I think kind of like the broader scope of the question is like, what do we do with, with kind of, kids who are just highly unmotivated and is there kind of a messaging that we can send to them uh i I mean a lot of like students talk to me they're like oh i can't be bothered studying like i don't understand why i'm studying i think that actually just opens up opportunities to tap into other things that they are just curious about and encouraging them to pursue that um whether it's as a hobby or then we escalate that to um something that returns like that actually brings a side income um, but I, the other thing I also tell um, to my students a lot is uh, if they ask me, like, why was I so motivated in, in high school to study? The answer is I never, I don't think it was the studying aspect. I think it was um, an attitude where I just wanted to uphold a standard of excellence. It didn't matter if I was studying. It didn't matter if I was playing sports. It didn't matter if I was building friendships. Um, it didn't matter if I was uh, on, a, on a facilitator program at Austin. Um, I think I just wanted to uphold a standard of excellence. Um, and the reason I wanted to uphold a standard of excellence is because um, if I don't do that, then I'm acutely aware that in five years' time or 10 years' time, I'm going to look back and think, damn, I wish I did more. Or damn, I wish I had a better attitude 10 years ago. Because if you have a better attitude today, um, and you make incremental improvements every single day, then in 10 years time, you'll be someone completely different. And so it's kind of that, like, I don't want to look back and just be regretful. Um, That kind of is kind of really the stem for why I do a lot of things that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second thing I tell them is it's it's actually less about, like, I think passion is important. Um, I think motivation is important, Um, but they come and go. Like, 
how many people have become passionate about soccer, play it for three months, realize they suck at it and never want to play again? Um, or how many people have uh, said, you know, I'm motivated now, I'm going to start a diet, I'm going to be fit. They buy all the fitness gear, they sign up for a gym, they sign up for a dieting plan five weeks in, or not even like five weeks in is good. Like, let's be real, like two weeks in, they're like, no, um, that is not me. I can't do it anymore. And so a, a lot of the times I tell my students, like, motivational videos are great because uh, they get you hyped up and amped up. Um, but the downside is that it, it lasts for around 15 minutes. Uh, yep. What's going to get you far is if you think about deeper core values and then you start developing disciplines and habits um, and consistency uh, that takes you through the journey of life, uh, irrespective of your feelings per se, like, it, like, it, like irrespective of like, oh, I'm not feeling so motivated today. Yeah. Um, I'm not feeling so hot today, but you still do it anyway because it's part of your consistency plan. It's part of your, um, part of the habit that you've built. And um, I, I, in fact, I even go as far as to tell my students, like, let's imagine that we don't set goals um, because a lot of people say goal setting is very important. And to a large extent, I would heavily agree with that, but there's a catch. Um, because mm. if you set goals and you're fully motivated, um, but if there is no discipline and habit or strategy to get there, that goal, you wasted time setting that goal. And, and then I flipped the question is, let's imagine I spent a time instead of setting a goal, just aiming in a rough direction and then laying the foundation for certain habits that I want to build that I think will get me there. And you stick to that relentlessly. You're going to hit the goal or even go further than the goal that you've hit that you've set for yourself because you have that in place. Um, and so, yeah, to students that are highly unmotivated, I would say motivation sometimes is overhyped. Um, and a lot of the times we don't feel motivated to do a lot of things. So then perhaps ask ourselves, well, just how do we want to live the life that we've got? We've got one shot at it. What kind of person uh, do we want to be? Um, are there any people that we look up to? And maybe just answer those questions first before being like, oh, I need to be super motivated in life. I need to study every day, get really high academic qualifications. Yeah. Like kind of reminds me of this other Elon Musk interview I watched. Oh, uh -huh. um, <laughs> I love it. I, 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 think, um, nice. I think the interviewer was asking him like how, like I, it was like uni student or something. I uh -huh. do not remember, but how he answered, I forgot the question as well, but what how he answered was really like stuck to me a lot. Mm -hmm. He said, um, if you need motivation, why even through, through, through everything that you just said, Michael, I was, I was like agreeing and disagreeing. And I think people who, who know me and will listen to this podcast and things like that, they can tell in terms of there were certain things that I wanted to disagree with as well. Sure, sure. But, um, agree and disagree. A couple of things is what you're really describing is the implementation of processes instead of goals. So it's mm. those little bits by bits. Um, like building habits like mm. small habits that will get you to the goal but and actually even overshot it which would be fantastic mm -hmm. so it's building that consistency and that discipline through these processes that work for you and that become a normal part of your day-to-day -day life yeah the other part that i wanted to touch upon uh, is that wait i'm having a mind blank <laughs> give me two seconds okay so the other point that I want to touch upon is that I think the solution to education <laughs> this might be <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, this is a Whoa. big claim. <laughs> yeah. That jumped far. All right, all right, let's see. I, I was thinking about it. 
what our education system and all education systems across the globe is really missing is a class in how to be human and understanding what it means to be human and how humans operate. Mm. So when I say that, it's, it's understanding what self-awareness is. It's understanding the, uh, the biological functions, but as well, like why we think certain ways, why we react to certain ways, because there, there are emotional reactions, there are rational reactions. Mm. If you understand yourself, and think about it this way from your own standpoint, guys, we have this, oh, most people will build more self-awareness probably in the later teens, um, yep. hopefully young adults. Mm. Hopefully. But because, Hopefully. <laughs> but because we have this self-awareness, we can make decisions for ourselves and understand how we operate, what makes us tick, so that we can also action items and execute and make a difference and, you know, actually pick a path, try it out, build discipline, build habits, um, achieve goals. Mm. But without that self-awareness and understanding how you operate, what makes you tick, what makes you not tick, what interests you, what pisses you off, what sets you off, what distracts you, if you don't have that baseline understanding of how you operate, it's very hard to, in a, in a way, action anything any, mm. that will make a lasting change. So, for example, us knowing what we like, what we don't like, that comes through with experience. So there's a slight, I guess, disjoint here. So the gap is that, you know, you form an identity which is kind of like the baseline of what you need as a growing human, which is formulated normally through puberty and things like that. Mm. So, but if we can have classes earlier on in life in terms of understanding, hey, you're going to get mad at this kind of thing. Oh, this is like, and this is what a, this emotion is. Like, for example, recognizing what happiness feels like, recognizing yep. what anger feels like, frustration, um, jealousy joy excitement and also kind of also identifying what mo your motivations are hmm. this i think would help younger people determine what is a short-term kind of excitement type thing versus hey this is actually very much me this is yeah. what i'm actually interested in. this yeah. is what kind of keeps me going so my grand solution to our changing system <laughs> is to implement, in a sense, human classes. Mm -hmm. It's understanding how humans interact as well. But I, and I guess I have to also acknowledge the fact that, you know, people, it's not necessarily taught in a classroom, but it's more so it's like, you know, you, you learn how to interact with other students, how to interact with teachers, how to interact with peers, to parents strangers, whatnot. Mm. But if we were kind of to build that into a class and make that a proactive part of the curriculum, in a sense, it's understanding, you know, how to communicate, how people react, and that whole interaction process, and also understanding yourself. Mm. There's a lot of problems that we are solving, because in the end, the individual would know what works for them and what doesn't work for them, what motivates them or what can, what actually recognize that, Hey, this is an interest. Yeah. Uh, but also I feel like when people understand themselves more, they're more empowered to do what they need to do to make mm. it work for them. 
Yeah. So in terms of having courage to go and pursue, it's like, you know, like, oh, I'm not sure whether like coding is for me and things like that, right? Yeah. But knowing the kind of person that they are, like, you know, I like things that are very black and white. Coding is one of those kind of things where it's like, if you have even a little bit missing from the code, it doesn't work. It's very black and white. So yeah. you can go on and try those kinds of things um, versus, uh, I guess, more humanistic things. It's like, you know, I'm really good with people. So it's like vying towards that side. Yeah. I actually, I actually think I, I really like the idea. I actually think it's very, very viable and schools should implement this because teen, like, instilling that um, growth mindset while teens are still teens, I think that's very valuable. Mm. Growth mindset, though. It's yeah. understanding themselves. Better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The it, growth mindset is like p- kind of part of it. Growth mm. mindset is, uh, I think, like uh, um, growth mindset is is more so an attitude towards that mm. you're continuously learning. What I'm proposing is more so of an understanding of how the human brain and body work, mm-hmm. and understanding your reactions, and mm. it's understanding the individual themselves. Yeah, because I think what people also get carried away is that they don't know what their identity is, mm. and actually just spinning off this it's that what i also realized um and actually this came through uh, a quote from a one like co-founder for my card game um is that when you assume an identity it kind of takes away the what's the best way to describe actually the, the better way describes how he described it to me for example when you are a pro athlete for example let's say you're like a olympic uh runner of some sort right you win gold medal you've topped the charts you've topped your your sporting your field and whatnot right Mm. but then afterwards yes you can go celebrate and things like that but you still continue training because that's what you do because you identify as a runner Mm. so even though it's like um so kind of bring this down to like for example us um like currently you can identify like, you know, I'm a fit person. Mm. So it's no longer that like, and okay, let me just rewind a little bit. Okay. I want to become fit, right? My goal is to become fit or to build a process that I work out and be healthy. Right. Mm. But if I assume the identity that I am a fit person, it changes the way that I perceive the effort that goes into this activity. Right. So instead of me like trying to be like, oh, making sure I work out every single day, it becomes that I am a person who works out every single day. Right. Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's totally. a change in mindset. So bringing that back into understanding how the brain works and how what kind of like clicks on those motivation or uh, discipline, kind of like what kickstarts your machine inside. Yeah. And understanding and how in, how to pull those levers. So one thing that I do, I share to a lot of my friends who um, kind of need to figure out what they like, what they don't like, and things like that. I always tell them to figure out what kind of levers they have. Hmm. If people are motivated by um, status, money, power, approval, validation, and things like that, there's no right or wrong right? 
It's more so understanding what works for you and then how you can use that to get to your goal. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, um, like that kind of proposal. Um, yeah. I, I see how it's so ridiculously important. Um, but, but the reason I see why it's so important is because I've lived life um, through certain experiences to appreciate that it's important and likewise for you and likewise for Sam. One thing that I've learned a lot about learning is that timing matters a lot. So, mm-hmm. so when true. I was, when like, you know, uh, in, in starting, say, my role as CEO, one of the things I was tasked to do was like, well, there's something apparently called strategy and you got to think about strategy and you need to set the direction. And, and so, and so I'm like, well, well, what the hell is strategy? And so I go out of my way to literally go buy a book um, and I read it immensely and everything, every word that I read sticks, every word like is is like gem to me and I can't rave enough about it um, to um, the people that care about strategy. But um, if we like rewind back to, let's say, careers class, every student in high school knows that university is important. But guess what? When you set a careers class and you teach them how to get into university, uh, all they're doing is throwing banana peels at each other and having a yeah. crack, knowing it's a bludge period. You know what I mean? And and so that's like the difficulty of it. It's um, it, it's and I remember in school, like in year nine, an elective was like critical thinking, and they used to literally teach you like what critical thinking is, what are the different types of ways in persuasive discussions, what fallacies are. And if I could go back in time, I would have ditched commerce where I uh, literally just like, you know, like reading reports on like random trucks and writing about it. And I really didn't care um, to learning about like understanding how people negotiate and what critical thinking looks like and how the way that we think are probably not backed by data at all. Um, and we don't have like strong constructs around the way that we create arguments. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I couldn't give two feathers about any of that. I couldn't care about, um, like, about critical thinking. I couldn't care enough about um, getting like understanding what universities, like all the different like application process until I was at that point. And so learning to be human is so important and it's such a vast concept, but it comes over a stretch of experiences and years, um, which is difficult to implement as part of the curriculum. And I think yeah. as soon as we put that on a screen, like stuff like high resolves, which is something I had at school, it just, it just gets yeah. turned into something of, of non-serious nature. Um, yeah, I think I so, have to agree. Yeah. yeah. Because so, so like, yeah. um, because like, everyone's on their own journey, right? And yeah. giving, like, what's a good example? Let's say a quote to you right now that um, mm-hmm. would mean a lot to you, mm-hmm. but it may mean nothing. Peers do. This is a human's life where there's so much development, so many factors. That there's so much information that's going into all of these kids that they're not quite stabilized yet. And yeah. later, as a young adult, it's it's more stabilized. There's a there's an understanding of your identity and things like that. So that when we bring in the self awareness and understanding of how a human operates, it's a lot easier to grasp and a lot easier to execute. Mm, mm. 
it like again cannot speak for everyone but reflecting on myself uh, the reason i could learn kind of glimpse of what you're saying of being human and what it means to be human is i think i had i was fortunate enough to be in a family where it was celebrated if you go ahead and like take responsibility and uh go discover things so i was never kind of forced to be a certain way forced to ser- to teach a certain way or think a certain way and so perhaps what it needs to be is we need to just kickstart that process and say it's okay to go ahead and discover things like it's okay um if you want to try out something new and that it's absolutely possible that you can do very well at what you want to set your mind to and so when you kind of have these uh these messaging that is uh, in very affirmative of go ahead and discover what it means to be human but without telling them to go do that but go ahead um and uh believe in yourself that you can achieve great things um i think that would facilitate what is different and so being human it's so multifaceted that we can't possibly teach it to someone but we can teach the foundations of yes it's yes it's okay that uh, you fail and yes you can absolutely be great they would go on and do it themselves <laughs> I hope our kids uh, can say that we did that. Let's hold each other accountable to that one. <laughs> it reminds me of the way like you pick what they call really it's a mm. studies. It's like the business bucket, you bucket into the arts or science continuing up you're actually going to do a faculty you in a sense are siloed mm-hmm. in a way because like you're not encouraged to you know test the waters and understanding how different areas of weather versus creative thinking and how the art system works versus how the business system works or how do how do science majors think mm-hmm. and operate as well yeah are we happy with that <laughs> I think that definitely the the whole trialing and encouraging people to try is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But the gap, the two issues I see there is one, uh, family pressure. Mm-hmm. So the way that the previous generation was brought up and like obviously like growing up, you grew up in a family. Your values and things like that are quite heavily influenced by your parents, your peers. And yeah, people who bring bring you up really. And if they feel the need that in order to for you to be successful or stable and things like that is to go through this entire system, that is what you'll be instilled to do. Whereas if every single family was instilling the fact that you know you can try everything and they'll be okay. But then it also comes back into the whole thing is that like the reason why you go out to start working it's because you need to make money to make money to mm. pay to live so it's just whether there's that gap where people are allowed to try anything and everything and then to what extent as well yeah try to learn everything and anything but also factoring the realisms of life but i think we're, we're going like way way like <laughs> 
there's so many different factors to this. I feel like we're extending over into different arenas of thought. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> and I think this conversation can go forever, but I think we should start wrapping up. Sam, do you have a final question or a final thought? Um, from this conversation, I think I've asked everything I wanted to know from Michael. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, oh, I have a final question, actually. Okay. Michael, yeah. for you, um, Sam as well, and I, and I can reflect it in as well, but gap years, yes or no? Yes. Oh. <laughs> That's such Sam a good question. Sam, go first, because he's, he's straight up got an answer. I think, oh, I can only speak for, for my like personally, right? I wish I took a gap year to actually figure out what I really wanted to do, and mm -hmm. I wish I was brave enough to take that leap yeah. to change change my degree. Yeah. Um, instead of just like, oh, I have one year left, oh, I might as well just stick it out, you know. To me, mm. I wish I'd haven't done, I didn't do that because at the end of the day, it's your life, it's not a race, and mm. you don't have to care what other people are doing and by what age they are doing they did it by so yeah definitely gap year is big yes mm, mm. nice i Chin i took it did, did, that, yeah. you go michael <laughs> right I, like it's funny right because i'm talking from experience of like i took a gap year and it's like mm. well a lot of people come to me for advice about gap years <laughs> and uh what do i say to them uh, i don't actually say a hard yes and why don't okay. I say a hard yes? Um, and it's because I think I was put in positions where I was fortunate enough to have reasons to take a gap year. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, let me, like, like people, like, I think sometimes it's a little bit easy to fall into the bucket thinking that if you take a gap year, you're going to, one year, like 365 days later, through all your experiences, you're going to know what you want. Yeah, yeah you're going you're gonna to know what degree you want to do. You're going to know. You're going to find yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reality is, hell no, bro. Like, there's no way. Um, I come out the other side and yes, I learned a lot and I've, I've learned more about myself, but it doesn't mean I'm any closer to <clears throat> figuring out my degree um, or figuring out my career path. And it, would I have guessed that I'm currently one and a half, barely one and a half years into university and like full-timing at a tutoring center? No, there's no way. Um, <clears throat> And so if anyone ever asked me about a gap year, um, my first question would be why and what, what do you want you do? and what, yeah, and like genuinely, like, what do you want to do? Um, because when you suddenly go from a structured classroom to now you can structure your own day, a lot of people don't know how to do that. And so suddenly you've got too much time on your hands and you end up spending 70% uh, of the gap year gaming. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, was that good for you? Probably not. Um, maybe yep. going into university, uh, throwing yourself into societies and uncomfortable situations and learning there is probably better for your development. Um, and so I don't think gap years are a necessarily a black and white yes or no, but I do think that more people need to consider it as a legitimate option. Yeah. Um, I, okay, I yeah. guess I can I take my answer back. <laughs> hard, hard yes with an asterisk. Yeah. Take, definitely take the gap year if you, de if you have something to do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. If you, or, you have something, a goal in mind. Correct. Or find something to like, actively prepare something to do and mm. then go and yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like be courageous. And if you have a really good reason, then do it. Oh, funny story. Two uh, 
uh, and I don't know when this podcast will be uploaded, but we're in a hiring process right now at Hero for mentors. And um, we've got two alumni that are brilliant people. Um, I, I love who they are and I've seen them grow up since U10 and both of them are taking gap years. Um, and it's, it's, I'm just celebrating the fact that like, it's an option. Like this is a James, like one of them is a James Roos kid, you know, like top selective high school gunning for med, but they want to take a gap year. Um, they want to do professional basketball. They want to, you know, get a job. They want to write a novel. So it's like, I hear all this and I'm like, brother, go take a gap year. Um, you should explore. And then I think for me, for gap years, I'm on the same kind of track for of thinking as Michael in terms of my first question is why and what mm. are you going to do with that time? I'm also factoring that, th- that when, like thinking about your mindset when you come out of high school, mm. most people are thinking gap years is for traveling, <clears throat> working, and it's, it's not actually really like finding yourself. People think that like, oh, you find yourself when you go traveling. When realistically, this is not the case. It's it's that gap in education where you need to have a think about what you're trying to achieve within this year exactly, and how will it actually benefit in you deciding or helping you grow as an individual. You should yeah. probably so, work the, work your hardest during get your gap year. Hey, mm. yeah. Well, that is an option, but I do agree in the sense that you need to have something lined up, whether mm. that's like a passion project and that will take up a year's time or um, you're working on something like a hard skill type thing not necessarily you know working a retail job and um, kind of wanting to pay off for your european summer <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. it's it's yeah it's it's hard and i think like people hearing this if there's any young people they might be like well frick if i don't have something lined up for the next eight months i better not take a gap year Maybe you don't. Um, I roughly had things going on, but, you know, things dramatic, like seriously dramatically changed. I was going to go America for Austin with Lily. Um, I was going to run a nonprofit for the entire year. And then suddenly I took up heroes. Suddenly they're bringing me into management. It's like, I can't predict it, right? The last piece of advice that I came across was, you know, you come out of Gabby sometimes and you said, did I just waste a year? Um, but the reality of life is there are other people that would have gone straight into uni and you think they're ahead of the game. And then halfway through, they change degrees and they restart from ground zero. Um, or they actually finish way ahead of you. And now they're in a job that they hate and they're literally slaving away. Um, and they honestly regret, um, with deep regret, that they didn't change degrees earlier or that they took a little bit more time exploring. So there is never such thing as I wasted time. Um, just use the time that you have to the best of your ability um, and understand that your job is to be a little bit better than the person you were yesterday um, and you're running your own race is my yeah. advice for Gabby's. Great advice, I think. Yeah, great advice. Good think, advice. Yeah, everyone at any stage can really like Definitely. take on that advice and try it, just try to improve. Mm. Mm. Think about it as well. Why? Why think about the past when you live now and for the future? Because mm-hmm. you can't do anything about the past anymore. You just got to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like owning the past, like going, yep, owning the past, and try to see how you can change the future. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making a difference for yourself. All right, I think we'll wrap it up there. 
thank I'm happy you. with that. <laughs> totally. Thank, you. thank yeah. you so much, Michael, for joining us yeah. today. Thanks for joining. Yeah. So very, very mm, this was an, an adventure of a conversation. <laughs> like I think listening to this will be like, what is happening? Because I know that I was really messy at the beginning, but we got in some really, really good golden nuggets in there. But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time from being CEO of Hero No, no. <laughs> oh, far out. Wow, we got a special CEO on our podcast. Wow. <laughs> oh, you guys are too funny. Not at all. <laughs> it's, it's my pleasure. It was so much fun. Um, and uh, if sometime later on you want to have another chat again, please invite me back. Yeah, definitely. But till then, thanks for coming to our TED Talk. all right see you guys all right see you guys and stay tuned for the next one have a good one bye